0: Well, get started. I'm, I'm hoping and assuming that there are people, not only that will be coming here, and this, um, but also the ones that are listening from home, because at this point, the, uh, the crowd is sparse. <laughs> okay, so let's begin with prayer. Gracious God our Father, we come this morning with gratitude, thankful for the gift of marriage, and we thank you that you are our helper, even in the context of our marriages. And we look to you today to help us, to give us insight, and to turn our hearts in the direction they need to go so that our marriages reflect the glory of Christ's love. For his bride. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, you know, when God instituted marriage, he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, the fact is that when you leave your father and mother, that's talking about physically, but Um, the fact is we still carry them with us even though we don't live in their home anymore. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today is the way that we, our childhood continues to live on in our hearts and in our minds and in our patterns and our relationship with our parents as well. Um... So, you know, we we have uh, habits that we began when we were children that continue on, and uh, and not only habits but um, hurts and wounds that continue to affect us even as adults, and things trigger us that are a result of imprints, emotional imprints that happened to us as children. Um, David Powlison, the late David Paulison, uh, tells told of a story of uh, a counseling situation that he was involved in. He was uh, counseling a young couple, that uh, had gotten close, and you know, were sort of moving forward in their relationship towards marriage. But something very strange happened. Um, whenever they like, began to get physically close, um, whenever he would try to snuggle up to her or kiss her or anything like that, she would sort of panic and freak out. And uh, so he didn't, you know, they just, and she had no idea why. She just, that's the way it was. Come on in. And so um, David Paulson, hearing this, turned to the woman and said, you know, earlier in your life, did you ever have someone who um, was intimate with you in an unwanted way? And she literally slid, slid off of her chair onto the floor in the fetal position. And, and they actually had to eventually help her to the car just and take her home before she could sort of snap out of it. And the next time, the same thing happened. Uh, he asked the same question, and, and it happened again. And it turned out, of course, as you might expect, that you know, she had been sexually abused by her father. And uh, so her... Um, you know, when her boyfriend would get close, it triggered this, this reaction. And that is... Um, You know, she was able to to grow out of that, but the point is that we carry stuff with us, and some of it we're not even aware of. And um, and so, um, as long as we go on and don't deal with it, it continues to trip us up. It continues to come back it continues to determine our behavior and we're, we don't even know why we don't even know why we're doing the things we're doing often and so um, we need to become students of ourselves and our reactions and even of our childhood um, and students of our spouses and their reactions and their childhood um, you know there's a number of things that Marianne and I have realized, you know, things that we didn't understand why either of us was doing what we did until we figured out that, that there's a connection with something in our past that we didn't even know about. Just getting frustrated with your spouse doesn't fix anything. Um, there needs to be a calm, loving, gentle investigation. And really, this is what Marianne and I have been working on over the last couple of years in our marriage and it's produced great fruit. Um, for, bo- for both of us, when we were children, we were sort of uh, uh, fell through the cracks. Marianne was the sixth child of eight. And so um, she was just one of a big group and her and, you know, it's easy for her parents to, to not really be engaged in what she was doing, what she was involved in, what she was experiencing, what she was feeling, and really the same for me. Um, I was the second of four, but but I had the same experience. My parents weren't really involved. They didn't really know what was going on in my life. Um, they they did a good job of providing and protecting, and telling us, you know, and prohibiting us from doing bad things. But they didn't really shepherd us, either of our parents, never really shepherded us. Neither of us remember as children ever being comforted by our parents. Or our parents sort of talking us through something hard that we'd gone through. Um... And I don't, you know, we're, I think, I'm not trying to say that we experience things worse than most people at all. In fact, I think we probably experienced less than what most people experience. But this is, you know, this is pretty typical that you have a childhood like this. Um, where we were never really trained to deal with our experiences. And our feelings. I was trained to do a lot of stuff, I was trained to fix things, I was trained to you know solve problems but I was never trained to deal with my own experiences. Um, A few weeks ago we were talking about this and uh, the analogy of the difference between a referee and a coach emerged that you know really parents should be like coaches more like coaches and our parents were more like referees and you know a referee is completely happy with you as long as you're within the boundaries and only when you step over the line or do something illegal do they blow the whistle but otherwise you're on your own they don't care whether you're over there or over there as long as you're on the court and they're not they don't get involved in telling you what would be better for you to do than what you're doing or cheering you on they're completely impartial in all those things and, uh, and that's really the way we were parented we were parented with, as, with referee parents not with coach parents and it was easy then for us to follow that same pattern when it came to our children um, and even to, to do that in our, in our marriage as well um, as a father, sadly, I didn't really take my children's experiences or feelings with much weight. And the reason was that, I, as a child, I don't remember having a lot of feelings and or really terrible experiences. And so it's e- it was easy for me to sort of minimize what they were going through because I thought... You know, they'll see it eventually and they'll grow out of it. They'll mature and the, those things will seem childish to them instead of realizing that, that they are learning right now how to deal with the things that they're experiencing. And um, so um, let me give you another illustration of this. Um, Marianne has had what I would call some irrational fears all through our married life. That didn't make any sense to me and seemed to contradict reason. You know, because um, there are things she's afraid of that are not very dangerous and other things she's not, you know, can handle that are much more dangerous. So it's like, what's going on? And um, so this is how we came to figure out where that came from. Um, Marianne had been having a lot of dreams and she has a lot of dreams that she remembers she always wants to tell me about her dream and I i think I told this story once before if you remember this but um, I think some of you haven't heard it so I don't have much patience with her telling me her dreams they're just these random things that have to do with you know, people and they're just nonsense and they're you know, just ridiculous. They don't have any point to them. It's like, so I get a little impatient with her telling, wanting to tell me her dreams. So um, I was reading this book that talked about, um, actually this book that I'll tell you about in a minute. And, talk, and it made reference to a person's dreams as having a pattern, an emotional pattern, as opposed to, you know, a pattern with regard to the circumstances or the people or whatever. And so I began to think about Marianne's dreams and I realized, you know something? Almost all of her dreams are about being in danger. Even though there, the other circumstances are very different, almost all the dreams have that same thread. And so I went to her and I said, I realized that your dreams are often about being frightened and in danger. Is that? Do you think that there maybe is something down deep in you where there's there's a there's a fear that um, you know has a lot of effect upon you that you don't even really aren't aware of? And she says, Yeah, I think that's probably true. And so all of a sudden, you know. I realized that all this putting off of her telling me about her dreams was, was really the wrong approach. I was in, instead, I should have, it should have been a red flag to me that, uh, that there was something that I needed to, to probe, something that I needed to pursue. And so we began to have conversations about her childhood and about things that she'd experienced to try to figure out why she had these strange fears. And it turns out, she uh, remembered a childhood experience that we believe is the source of most of this fear. Where there was a a man that was, um, you know, when she was a little girl, like, I don't know, six. She was uh, playing in the elementary school playground and there was a man that was always there watching through the fence. And she was told to not get anywhere near this man. And then um, one day they were at a... uh, She and her sisters, because she was the sixth of eight, she often did stuff with her older siblings and her parents weren't there. So she went to a a skating rink, right? Is that ice skating or? Ice skating rink. This is Erie, Pennsylvania, so ice skating's the thing to do up there. And, uh, and this man was there. And so that spooked them and so they said, let's get out of here, and they all decided to go to a movie instead. They lived in the city of Erie, so you could walk around to all the places, you know, didn't need a car. And so they went to the movie theater, and lo and behold, this guy shows up at the movie theater. So, and and never did any of her parents talk about this guy or help her think through or anything. None of that. It's just, she just had this scary experience where there was this dangerous guy. And as a result of that, she has these strange fears that are still triggered at times in her life and so once we discovered that you know we, we said okay well well, what, what is the good way to handle this when you know when you start to feel these fears um, and uh, so we've we mapped out four or five things that she should do, should think about should remember, one of them being, this fear doesn't really make sense. You know, this is a, something that's triggering a childhood fear. This isn't really based on the circumstance, so it's, let's diagnose it first. And then second of all, you know, if the, I'm willing, like when Marianne goes on an airplane ride, like many of us I'm sure, she says to herself, Lord, if this is my time to die, you know, your will be done. Yeah, give me safety, but if this is the, if this is, I commit my, this trip to you, and she's willing to die. But for some reason, and so she doesn't get spooked there, but she gets spooked when, at the idea, for instance, of getting into a taxi cab with a strange man. Which, you know, that's just so much less dangerous in some ways than being flying an airplane. But she's willing to die. So she, you know, we came up with several things to help her remember, look, you're willing to die. The worst thing that could happen is that. And, and you know, I'm willing, if this is, if you want to kill me through this taxi driver somehow, Lord, I can commit my, myself into your hands in that way just as well. Anyway... Um, so we, we developed that, but the point is to see how things that we do and, and ways that we react are triggered by childhood things. And it's, this is, in my opinion, this, is, this was a big um, realization for us, and it's really helped us to begin digging and doing work into both of our childhoods. Um, for me um, I had, you know, my memory is that when I had, even as a family, when something bad would happen, something scary, something sad, we would just, we'd never talk about it. We'd just move on to the next thing and never deal with how everybody was feeling and how we should be thinking about this. And so, as I grew up, that's what i how I learned to deal with stuff. If something hard happened, I'd just move on to the next thing and uh one of the very one of the things that drew characteristic was that my parents got divorced when I was right after my junior year of high school, and I never really grieved and so um and I didn't I didn't think anything of it until later here in this church a member of this church hearing that was very intrigued and asked if it would be okay if we talked about that and he pursued that a little bit and you know within 20 minutes of that conversation I was bawling like a little child about the the divorce which I'd never done before but I'd never I never um really dealt with it. And you know, I'd never even had anyone, none of my relatives, nobody ever came along and said, "Let me talk about this." It just just walk on to the next thing. You know, you don't deal with it. And so th- that's the way I uh tended to treat my children and my wife in when they're going through something hard. It's like, "Okay, well, Let's trust the Lord and move on. You know, it's really um not a very helpful thing. So um I've mentioned these books before this book before, but this is the book that really got us going on um the impact of childhood experiences and memories um and how they affect us today and how and this is not a book, you know, that their stated goal is not to put to figure out who to blame for how messed up you are but rather to help you heal so that you can um, be healthy in the way that you deal with stuff in your life. So uh, we we read the book I read it I don't know did you read it just once? So I went back and read it a second time as soon as that was done and I'm gonna—I'm actually planning to read it again, except that we're going through the workbook. There's a workbook that comes along with it, um, and we're working our way. You know, where we, there's questions, and we talk about them. We we meet once a week for an hour, and just go through um, the questions, working our way. We're not quite halfway through, but almost halfway through the book. And it's taken us all, over a year to uh, to get this far. It's been very, very helpful. Um, and you know, it, it, really, it really cultivates compassion in us for two people. Compassion for our, for our spouse and for what they experienced and, and how they got where they were. A lot of times, someone can be difficult and you don't realize that the way that they became difficult was through pain. So you can't really deal with them as difficult people until you can be compassionate towards the things that happened to them that were so painful. But then the other person that you, you learn to be compassionate towards is yourself as a child. You know, you realize that uh, things happened to you and, and you were left with no help. Anyway, so we recommend that. There's also another book. Th- this one is basically uh, about marriage. You know, discover your love style, enhance your marriage. By the way, um, in case you're interested, we're actually doing a webinar with this couple um, in, a, in a couple weeks. Days, Thursday. This Thursday. So if you're, if you're interested in that, I'm sure you could, uh, you could be a part of that um, if you sign up soon. Um, But there's also one, How We Love Our Children, that talks about the, um, you know, how this principle affects the way we parent. And uh, so there's actually a lot of that in here too, but we're looking forward to reading that one. And um, we watched a, a DVD that was on How We Love Our Older Children. And it was amazing how accurate their descriptions were of our, you know, I realized I was an avoider. And so I realized I'm not the only person that's like this in the world. There's other people like me. And, uh, and this is how avoiders parent. It's like, that's just what I do. It's amazing. Anyway. Um, So, now let me just talk a little bit about our relationships with our parents because I'm running out of time. Um, Don't think that your present relationship with your parents has nothing to do with your marriage either. Um, And that's where this book comes into play. This book was written by a former member of our church, Phil Rosenbaum, called The Promise, and it's about how, you know, the... uh, In Ephesians 6, Paul refers to the commandment to honor your father and mother as the only commandment with a promise. And what is that promise? That it might go well with you. Honor your father and mother, that it might go well with you, and that you might live long on the earth. And so um, he talks about how, you know, honoring your parents makes your life prosper in the economy of God that's his promise and you know he says well what, what maybe you have marital problems and really the problem is that God's not prospering your marriage because you're dishonoring your parents maybe you know honor your father and mother that it might go well with you in your marriage or uh, with your children with your own children And uh, this generation, you know, has swallowed this, this idea that, you know, if basically if your relationship with your parents doesn't bring you joy and make you feel good, that you should cut yourself off and think of them as toxic. Well, maybe that whole idea is toxic. It seems to me that, that instead of rejecting parents, we need to try to heal relationships with parents. Now, that's not always easy and sometimes it's impossible. I'm not saying that there aren't people who legitimately cut themselves off from their parents. There certainly are. But in my opinion, it's done so lightly and so quickly today by many that uh, it's really tragic. Um, Remember that not only do you have a redeemer in the context of your marriage, but you have a redeemer in the context of your relationship with your parents. And God can do big things. And it's, and that I've experienced that myself after, after going through this. You know, I went to my parents, as he sort of recommends, and, and confessed things to them and talked to them about things that they'd done that had hurt me. And it was a great breakthrough in my relationship with both my parents. Um, So, uh, now this book isn't in print, but you can get it um, used, even on Amazon, Um, and pretty cheap at times, um, if if you're interested in reading this. It's it's, It's a study of what the Bible says about this principle of honoring your parents. And one of the ways... That you honor your parents, you know how do you honor your parents? Well, there's lots of ways, but one of them is to try to be close to them. One of the ways is by opening yourself up to them. So, I uh, I won't talk any more about that, but um, because our time's up. So here's the assignment, and I'd like you know, I'd like to do it in couples today, and. Uh, if we have, Mary and Marguerite could get together since you two don't have uh, your partner here. But here are the questions that I'd like you to think about. And I didn't print it out, I'm sorry. Is there a relationship which needs healing which might be affecting your life? If so, what's a first step you might think could get things started in the right direction? So is there a relationship which needs healing? which might be affecting your life? And the second one is just a little, the same thing, but a little bit more broad. Is there something else you heard this morning which you think you need to act on? And what can you do to get started? So really the same question, one just in general, you know, anything you heard that you need to pursue as a result of this. And the second is, you know, a specific relationship with someone that needs to be addressed in your life. Okay, so you can move around and find a place.